He got up immediately, miraculously healed through the power of God. Well, the whole community took note. He went into the temple with them. He grabbed the arm of Peter and John. They went into the temple, and he's telling everybody, and they're looking at him. It's like, wait, is this the same guy we see every day sitting down there? So they're talking, and everybody, at this point, they have this huge crowd. So Peter, being Peter, takes advantage of the opportunity that he gets, and he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone that could hear him. We're just outside the temple, right? At the colonnade or the porch, essentially, of the temple where everyone gathered. They joined in. He, they're preaching Jesus, and he's preaching Jesus. And upon doing that, he tells them the truth in a bold manner. And he doesn't beat around the bush. He calls them out for being who they were and says, you must repent and you must turn from your sins because you are the murderers of Jesus. You had a hand in that. And because he was so bold, and because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, more than 2,000 people were added to the number. At this point, it would be 5,000, right? It was 3,000 before, more were added there. So approximately 5,000 now were believers, followers of Jesus. They joined. Well, obviously, if you go back to the story of Jesus, the Jewish leaders did not like this uprising, these Jesus people. So they arrested, they arrested John and Peter, and they put them in jail for one night. Upon the next day, as soon as the next day came, they put Peter and John on trial. It's not the trial that we have where it's a fair scenario, right? It's actually these two men essentially being circled by all the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, right? All the leaders that made all the decisions, the big wigs in the community and, and the religious community, and they are, they are prepared. They have their questions ready to essentially intimidate, to bully them to a point where they submit and they step back and stay away from sharing this name of Jesus. Well, obviously, knowing Peter and John, not only did they stand strong against all these questions in whose name are you saying these things, and they boldly said it's in the name of God that we healed this man. They never submitted to that. But upon saying that, not only did they tell them that they were doing it in the name of God, they actually shared the gospel with these Jewish leaders, which is a powerful scene. If you try to imagine them flipping the script on them, they did. Well, those Jewish leaders were taken aback, and they had no way to respond because all those people were in agreement. They saw this man being healed, and why would they punish these men for doing a good deed, right? Why would they punish these men for doing that? So they didn't. They said, don't speak about Jesus anymore. Don't say another word about Jesus, and we're going to let you go. Well, Peter responds, we cannot be silent. We are going to tell people about Jesus. And they're like, uh, what can we do, right? So they still let him go. And when they let them go, we are now at this scene. They let Peter and John go. God turned a scene of, of, of um, devastation. Peter and John, the two leaders of the church movement, being arrested. And all the people that were following were afraid that Peter and John were about to be crucified, just like Jesus, right? They were doing the same things. They were talking about it. They healed a man through the power of God as Jesus worked through them. What? 
they were about to be crucified is what I would have thought if I were a believer with them. Instead, they flipped the scene completely and they turned an opportunity, turned this devastation scene into an opportunity to share the good news with Jesus. And they say, go. And they, they told them not to say another word about Jesus. And now we are here in the scripture we just read. Immediately following this, they didn't just stand out there and rejoice and go have dinner and high-five one another. They went back to their church. And we read what happened. And today, we're going to look in our scripture today, and we're going to see some clues that give us insight to what a healthy church looks like. Three core clues that gives us that insight. So we just saw that scene. So let's look at verse 23. And we're going to see these clues jump out at us as we, uh, as we study this scripture together. So verse 23 says, After they were released, Peter and John was re were released from jail and from the trial uh, with the Jewish leaders. They went to their own people, their own people, their believers, the other believers with them, and they reported everything to the, they reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they reported everything. They're in this trial scene. They're being badgered and pressured and intimidated by these men. And they told all the other believers what was said to them and how they responded. Imagine that scene. Imagine if you were there. It's like, okay, guys, we were in this scene, but they let us tell them about Jesus. They asked questions about Jesus. And not only doing that, when we told them about Jesus, they realized that we were just like Jesus. They saw Jesus in us, not just because we were with him and followed him, but because we are believers. And now we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit came upon us, right? So they saw they were, we were just like Jesus, and all they could do is just tell us that, to not go tell anybody else about Jesus. This is a win, right? And they were, they were celebrating together. In a time of trial, in a time of persecution, God flipped that scene. So the first clue for us is a sign of a healthy church. And this church, three months old maybe, the church is brand new. The church universal is brand new. It's going and it's spreading widely. The first clue for us is that the church is where we should go first. The church is the first place we should go in any trial, persecution, or any victory. We rejoice and we are grounded back to the church. Pains, triumphs, the church grows and is our foundation we lean on together. Peter and John showed us that. They went back to the church first. That's a powerful scene. In verse 24, when they heard this, when the people heard Peter and John tell him, when the church heard Peter and John come back and report to them the persecution they were facing in the name of Jesus, they raised their voices together. And of one voice, they said to God, they prayed in unity. And different scholars say different things about this. Some most think that one person prayed and they all agreed with that person praying. Some think multiple people stepped in and took turns saying prayers. But whatever, whatever perspective you take on that, they all prayed together in unity. This voice is a singular voice. 
which means that it's all together. There were no disagreements among them. They weren't fighting for what they should pray about. Well, let's pray more about this versus this. Let's pray more that we're persecuted less. No, let's pray more that we have more boldness. No, they were all praying together in one mind, focused on God. That's why when you hear things like, let's pray in agreement together, let's pray together, it's not that you have your own side prayer and you don't listen to what anybody else is saying, but you're focused in on the person that's praying and you're praying agreeing with them, in agreement with them. That's what that is. They have the same mind when they pray. So they said this. Here's what they said in their prayer. First word they said was master. Some translations say Lord God. They approach him with this, this word of submission. Master, Lord. The Greek word for that, and this is important, I wanted to bring this out, is despotes. Despotes, which is a word that, the same word that a slave owner would use in reference to his master. That same type of reference, which means that there's complete submission to that person. Complete submission to the master, because when they prayed, it was of complete confidence in God that God was going to fully take care of the situation, that nothing that the rulers were doing to them, nothing that the world was doing was outside of the sphere, the realm of control that God had on them. Right? He, and God was allowing these things to happen because ultimately God was in control of the situation and he would be glorified. And if you look back on what happened in the scene of the trial, God flipped that scene into something where two men could be persecuted to the scene where Peter and John were preaching to the leaders of the Jews. Remember the leaders of the Jews? We talked about this man named Saul being in there who would become Paul. That's powerful. Peter and John in that, in that scene were, were starting the wheels in the mind of Saul who would be the greatest missionary of the church. It's a powerful scene. They said, Master, Master, you... You are the one who made the heaven. You are the one who made the earth and the seas and everything in them. God, you are great. God, you are good. Father, we submit to your goodness. We submit to your power. In fact, God, we're coming here to rejoice in this face of trials. All the world's focusing in on us, especially the Jewish leaders who are trying every way to catch us slip up just once so that they can put us in jail for an actual uh, a reason instead of just throwing us in there and warning us not to talk about it. This world is focusing in on us and it is crashing down, but we come to you, God, rejoicing that you are good. And that gives us our next clue on what the church should look like. We should react, respond to bad news with praise. We should re respond to bad news with praise and worship, which seems counterintuitive. There's no logic there. Why should we rejoice when we're suffering? God is in control. And if we realize that through our sufferings, great things happen. I want to show you this, this uh, quick news clip. This is a young man named Willie Myrick. You may have heard this story. Willie was kidnapped. He's a 10-year-old little boy that was kidnapped about three, four years ago. And his kidnapper couldn't deal with him. He couldn't deal with him, so he let him go. You'll see why. Let's watch this quick clip here. 
10-year-old is abducted from right in front of his home in Atlanta, Georgia, only to be released a few hours later. And you will not believe how he got the kidnapper to let him go. Trace Gallagher knows. Trace? He did it by singing, Megan. It really has become the song heard around the world, and police say it may very well have saved the life of nine-year-old Willie Myrick. Willie says he was in his front yard. He bent down to pick up some money, and that's when someone grabbed him, threw him in their car, and took off. Listen now to nine-year-old Willie Myrick. I didn't know what he was doing until he, like, grabbed me, and he drove me off to East Point. He told me he wouldn't hear a word from me, so I ain't say nothing. Oh, he didn't talk. Instead, he started singing a gospel song called Every Praise. Well, he says the man cursed at him, telling him to shut up, but he kept singing for three hours until the man finally stopped the car and told him to get out. The boy ran to a nearby home, asked the homeowner to call his guardian. By that time, police were already canvassing the city and quickly picked him up, saying the song saved him. Now, listen to Willie sing the song on a local radio station. Every praise is to our God. Every word I worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. And he was saying, shut up. Yeah. Everybody's heard it. Willie Myrick even got to meet Hezekiah Walker, the Grammy winner who actually wrote Every Praise. Police still do not have any leads on the suspect. They're hoping the sketch we showed you earlier might generate some tips in this case. Unbelievable. I love him. I want to know Willie. <laughs> That's pretty cool, right? In the face of persecution, in the face of his kidnapper, right? He didn't, know, he didn't say anything, but he knew. He knew that praises and worship would help. You see, he is actually lives, this little boy lives with his grandparents or his grandmother. Um, his mom and dad are both atheists and um, didn't have anything to do with the church, but the grandmother saw value in that. And she said, I'm going to take him to church every Sunday. And I saw a clip on him that talked about uh, how his pastor would always talk about um, the importance of knowing Scripture. And th this little Willie was able to recite several verses of Scripture. It was really impressive. Um, but he, he talked about the importance that he knew when it, times were tough, he just sings. He sings praises to God. And uh, from, uh, from that right there, it shows us the power, the power uh, of praise and worship. And it was, that, that's a pretty, pretty clear evidence of it, that the kidnapper just couldn't handle it. I don't know if it had anything to do with the gospel song or just he was tired of hearing that kid and said, get out of here. But uh, it worked, whatever it was, right? God moved in that situation. In Romans chapter 8, and this is not on the screen, but I want to read... Just real quick, a reference to this. It says, what then are we to say? What are we supposed to say about these things? If God is for us, then who is against us? He didn't even spare his own son, but he offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's chosen people? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he is the one who has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who is it that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Can affliction, can distress, 
persecution, famine, or nakedness, can danger or sword separate us from love of Christ? No, not at all. Nothing at all can separate us from the love of Jesus. So in that second clue, we should react to bad news, to difficult situations with praise and worship. And we'll find the negativity fades away as we focus our, our eyes and our perspective back on the Lord. Because we know, and you can go back to your situations of struggling and strife, that they are but temporary. When we focus our eyes on the Lord, we see a grander scheme ahead of us, a bigger picture that starts to unfold. And when we're at a point in our life when we can look back on those times, we can see that God was with us the entire time. And we can give him glory because of that. And we have to trust in that situation. As we continue to read in our scripture, verse 25 goes on and says this, that you said, and this is the group praying together, okay? The believers praying. said, you said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant. And then they reference Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth, they take their stand and the, the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. So they read Psalm 2, right? They quote this. It's important that we see this, and we've seen Peter do this many times, referencing Old Testament, because that's their Bible, okay? They continue to redirect their eyes on the Word of God. They focus their mind and heart upon His will, His desire, and ultimately are trusting in the Word of God and the Bible more than what's happening around them. And so they expected this. They expected this. So when we pray, just like these men and women are doing together, we should pray understanding that God's bigger, that God has things that are going to happen to us, that when we face trials and persecution, especially when we're standing for our Christian values, that God's going to be glorified because of that. When there is conflict, we should remember. We should remember the Word of God. Like in Ephesians. Ephesians is a good reference. Chapter 6, verse 12, just one verse. It says, we do, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. That's a reference. Our world has rulers in it that are limiting, especially in our culture today, our Christian beliefs and values what we stand strong for in our beliefs of the Word of God. We don't wrestle against that. We focus our eyes on the Lord. And the third clue that we're focusing on is that when we are challenged, is what we just talked about, is to remember the promises of God when those challenges happen, when those difficulties come, that God's Word prevails. And that's why they reference uh, David in the Psalms. Verse 27 says, For, after this reference, they say, For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they assembled together against your holy servant Jesus. This happened. It was a prophecy in Psalm 2, and ultimately, the rulers of the world assembled together to go against Jesus. And that's exactly what happened, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, we ask you to consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. 
while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled, they were, it was shaken, and they were all filled with, holy, with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word boldly. This word bold, boldness, boldly, that's twice just in that short passage there. They're asking for this thing called boldness, right? This boldness word is uh, defined as this lucid and daring statement. Lucid and daring uh, vocal statements being made. And it comes from the Greek word uh, parasia or parasia, which means to tell it all, tell everything. Anybody know anybody that has no filter and just says whatever comes to their mind? Nobody raise their hand, just me? I, just, I can point to a couple people in here right now, actually. It's okay. I love them anyway, right? We need those people. God needs those people that have the boldness that don't care. They're just going to say, first thing come to their mind, and just let you have it, right? And give it to you, and then they'll ask for forgiveness later, right? And several of us might be able to point to grandparents and whatnot, I can, and that's okay, right? Because they just let it, they ain't got nothing to lose. They're going to tell you like it is, right? I love that about my grandparents too, right? Um, that boldness is what we should strive for, though. Not to the point of just don't care to offend anybody, but to the point of saying things and telling things without reservation, without us biting our tongue because we're afraid they might get upset at us. But these people were praying that, say, forget that reservation. I want to say things that the Spirit puts on my heart, period. Don't let my flesh get in the way, Lord. Let me speak what you want me to say and what needs to be said for each person's salvation and for the advancement of his kingdom. They prayed these things. They prayed for boldness. They prayed, they prayed for uh, the flesh to get out of the way and the spirit to move all in unity, all in common. They had it in common. And verse 32 says, here's what happened. The entire group of those who believed were of one heart and of one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands and houses sold them. They brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite of Cyprus by birth, the one the apostle called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me give some clarification to this. This is not telling us to go sell everything we own and give it to the church and, and struggle through life. A lot of historians say the early church people struggled in their life because they did sell everything, that a lot of them did get rid of everything, and then they became the poor, needy people that the church had to survive just to give them food, right? It's not necessarily saying those things, but when the need arose, when there was a need within the church, right, with the people in the church, then the church did what they had to do to help them out. The church did what they had to do to meet that need as necessary. And it can go to the extent of people, especially Barnabas, 
who was willing to sell what he had in order to help those that were in need. That's unity. This passage today that we focused on has many different facets that we can pull out, but ultimately one grand theme that is there is this theme of unity. Peter and John seeing these struggles, they went back to the church to praise with them, to rejoice with them that God pulled them through. But not only did that, once they went back to rejoice, they asked, they prayed God again, God give us even more boldness so that more persecution is going to come. We know it, but give us more. Give us more boldness because when persecution happens, you know that you are on the right path for God. So we can pray for boldness. We can pray for that. And that's what I want to do today. I want us as a church to pray for boldness, each and every one of us individually, to be bold in our situations, in our own little circles, to the people we really need to be bold to and we need to share things to. Let's get that flesh out of the way, those reservations, and say those things that need to be said in God's name. That's boldness. Loving one another with bold, in a bold manner, do that. In all things we do, let Jesus be seen. So let's pray together right now, if you would pray, pray with me. Father, we come together in unity. We see your word as it speaks to us. I pray that this application that we've drawn out that you have for us today is spirit-led, spirit-directed, and this word boldness, Father, is instilled in our hearts right now. Father, not this boldness that, that we seek for personal gain, this boldness that is going to make us feel better about ourselves, but this boldness that the Spirit puts in our heart that gives us this thing called conviction to cause us to step in places that our flesh wouldn't normally go. But when your Spirit leads, Father, let us be guided and obedient to that Spirit. Father, may we be a church that is bold for you a church that is bold to one another, that loves one another in such a bold way that they take it to an extent of self-sacrifice when we are in excess to help those that have not. Help us to be that type of people, your people, God, that cause others to take note and want more of what you have. God, in everything that happens, let us glorify you first. Let us be a church of unity where we love one another in a bold way. We praise together, we worship together, and we go through our sorrows together. But above all, we're holding our hands so that we can hold your hand. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for this church, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen.